You are listening to the Amateur Church Podcast, where we pursue excellence in ministry with the right motivation for the sake of love. I'm Pastor Matt, and I'm so thankful that you are on this disciple's journey with me. This week, we've been reading through the book of Matthew, and I love the book of Matthew. In fact, recently I taught through it for over 18 months. We went a year and a half uh, through the book of Matthew and saw God do some wondrous things through his text, reminders for us that Jesus is truly God in flesh. And as we've been reading this week, it's been a reminder for me that what, what Christ did in coming to be born of a virgin, live a sinless life, die a horribly cruel death, be buried, and then rise uh, victoriously over the grave, death, and hell itself was for our salvation. But one of the things that takes place in uh, the gospel story is we think it ends there, that the gospel just ends where Jesus rises. But do you realize that we are now part of that story? And that's why this episode is evangelism from the book of Matthew. Uh, what does it mean to share the, the truth of Jesus Christ, to go and to evangelize, to, to, to make sure that we're spreading the gospel? Well, it's the very thing Jesus told us to do. And I, I want you to remember three main aspects about uh, this, um, this coming king. And the first is that Jesus promised that he would return. Think about it. All the teachings we've read this week, one of the greatest, uh, greatest things that Jesus taught us was that he would return. Look at Matthew chapter 24, verse 29 says, But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. What I love in this passage is Jesus promises, I will return. The same thing we see in Acts chapter 1. Uh, Jesus says, listen, I'm coming again. John chapter uh, 14 reminds us, if I go to prepare a place for you, then do you not believe that I will come back to gather you to myself? And so I want to remind you as we think about uh, what we've read in the book of Matthew, as we think about the coming king, he promised he would return. But in the midst of that return, second, he gave us a mission until he comes. Matthew chapter 28 gives us what we know as the Great Commission. Listen to uh, verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. My prayer is that we would recognize not only the fact that Jesus is going to come, but that he has given us a mission to accomplish till he comes. We should not sit and debate and argue about the date of his return, but that we should be united together to work until he does return. So he promised he would return. He gave us a mission to do until he returns. But listen to this. You and I must choose how we respond. Look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. It says, Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. 
And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left their boats and their father and followed him. We must choose how we respond. That if we really do have a coming king, he has asked us, follow me. And if you're going to follow me, I'll make you become fishers of men. And as we have been encouraged for 2,000 years, we don't know the day and the time when Jesus will return. We don't know what's going to take place with every facet of his return. But what we do know is that Jesus has given us a mission, and we can respond today, either being faithful to follow him and make disciples, or we can respond in faithlessness and disobedience. And I want to be found faithful. We have had the opportunity to hear the gospel and be changed by the gospel. May we now take the responsibility to share the gospel with others. Remember, evangelism is not complete until the evangelized become the evangelists. Now, as we close out this episode, it is Thursday, so we want to have a throwback Thursday, a moment of church history, and look at uh, some of the things that might have taken place that shaped how we believe in Christ and how it affects our own evangelism. Well, the year that we want to look at is 1534, and this is where Henry VIII actually caused a major separation between the Church of England and the Catholic Church. Uh, and it's it takes place during the time of the Protestant Reformation. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at different facets of the Protestant Refor Reformation. And during the time, Henry VIII of England uh, really went against Luther's views on the sacrament. And uh, through that, he received the title Defender of the Faith. Actually, the Pope called Henry VIII the Defender of the Faith. And so once his brother dies, he married his sister-in-law, Catherine of Aragon, and uh, and they were in love, and he wanted to uh, to have an heir through her, but she could not bear him a son, uh, which meant he had no heir to the throne. So as he's married to Catherine, uh, he uh, his eye goes to another woman, Anne Boleyn, and he wanted to divorce Catherine and marry Anne. So he asked this pope whom he thought he would receive a yes from uh, because the pope had already esteemed him with this title, Defender of the Faith. Uh, but the pope refused. And he said, I'm not going to allow that because if, uh, uh, that number one, that's against uh, what we believe. But also, think about this, uh, if he granted that a divorce, uh, Catherine's nephew was... Charles V, who at that time was the Holy Roman Emperor. And so the Pope would have been going against the, the, uh, the Catholic Emperor, the Holy Roman Emperor, and uh, and this would have meant war. This would have meant a it could have even ended up in the Pope's death uh, at, at that time. Even though the Pope had so much authority, he did not want there to be animosity there. So Henry decides I'm going to take this matter into my own hands since I am the defender of the faith. I am the King of England, uh, and he appointed a guy by the name of Thomas Cranmer to be the Archbishop of Canterbury. And so with Thomas Cramner coming to this new found position, he grants the divorce. So this took a while to take place, but in 1533, the same year that he was granted a divorce, he married Anne Boleyn. 
and she soon gave birth to a daughter, Elizabeth. Now, the story does not end there. A year later, in 1534, the English Parliament passed what was known as the Act of Supremacy. And the Act of Supremacy, just for you to, to understand, declared the King's Highness to be supreme head of the Church of England. And this meant that the king could establish a state church where the pope, whom he had already hated now, had no authority. So you've got a separation between the Catholic Church and now the Church of England. The king is now supreme head of the Church of England. And this separated uh, what we understand as government and religion in, in England. So, But it separated from the Church of England and the Roman Church, but it actually solidified now, on the other hand, government and religion in the same authority, the King of England. So do you see how that took place? The King no longer had to listen to the Pope or even the Holy Roman Empire, uh, Emperor. He just, uh, he became the sole authority. This was a result of pride and rebellion against uh, what they believed was truth. So the king was able at this time now to seize the uh, properties of the monasteries, uh, that's the land, the money, and he then took that, put it in the royal treasury. Later on, he ordered an English Bible to be installed in all the churches uh, and, uh, and really said the churches are no longer Roman Catholic. Even though later on, his, his daughter Mary would try to return England back to the Catholicism, that would ultimately uh, fail. So in this, you can see some positives and some negatives of Henry VIII's act of supremacy. But ultimately, may we see uh, that it was this man's own uh, pride, his own uh, 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 desires, sinful desires, that uh, established his authority as king over the Church of England and ruler as the, the, the supreme head. What does this mean? One king had to assert his authority by putting down others. Now, compare that with our King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus Christ put himself down so that others might be saved. Out of humility, Jesus humbled himself to the point of being a servant, to the point of death, even the death on the cross, Philippians chapter 2, so that we might be saved. And God has now given him a name above all names. So compare Henry VIII, one king, putting down others for his own good. Jesus Christ, king of kings, puts himself down, allows, uh, he humbly dies so that we might be lifted up and exalted. That is true kingship. Hey, I love you. I'm praying for you. Stakes in the ground. <laughs>